We ready for the word, church? Yes. Amen. All right, let's go. Now, I was bragging on you last week, so don't prove me wrong. Second service has you vastly outnumbered, but you kick their butt almost every single week of being here in the moment with me. So we got to keep that going, all right? We ready? Amen. All right, let's go. Um, today is week number three, and today we're doing baptisms as well. It's week number three of our series, uh, Your Mess is Mine. And in pre-service meeting today, I was telling one of my staff members, I said, today's message is going to be shorter because of baptism. And, and this person laughed at me when I said my message would be shorter. I don't know how five years experience has taught her that, um, but we're going to get into the word today because we got to keep it moving. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, we'll put it on the screen, but if you have your Bible, you can flip there now. Second Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 7. It says, therefore, and this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, for context, right before the Apostle Paul got to this section, he was talking about this incredible depth of re revelation that he has had access to, to a friend who, who had incredible revelations that, that he knows secrets of, and he has this vast knowledge. And so because of his vast knowledge, it would be easy for him to become someone who was conceited in their faith. But then he says that God gave him this thorn and his flesh. And when it gets to the section where it says, God gave me a thorn in my flesh, this is just good evidence that the word of God is living, that it's active, because each one of you interpreted that in a different way. Because when I said a thorn in the flesh, I know some people are like, oh, he's preaching about husbands today. He's preaching about my coworkers. He's preaching about being a parent today. We all interpret that a little bit differently as we hear it. But I want you to understand the the reason he has this thorn is it was to serve a purpose. It wasn't just pain, but it was to maintain humility in his life. And children, I'm not calling you a messenger from Satan, as the passage says, but I am saying being a parent will keep you humble, won't it? When you have to argue with your own little personality right up in your face, it will humble you quick, won't it? There's so many of the biggest blessings that we have in our life can also be the biggest burdens, and they do such a great job of keeping us humble. But as we get into the context of Paul's situation, one of the first questions we have is, okay, what exactly was this thorn that was in the Apostle Paul's flesh? Because it actually doesn't list it here in the passage, but there's some other places in Scripture where theologians go to where they try to describe probably what happened or probably what he was speaking of. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, uh, the Apostle Paul normally would have someone writing the letter for him as he spoke it, but he actually took the pen at that point in Galatians and he said, look at what big letters I'm writing to you with. And in the previous, in two chapters back in Galatians 4, he, he said, if one of you there could have plucked out your eye and given it to me, you would. And theologians believe that the Apostle Paul probably in Acts when he got stoned, nearly put to death in Lystra for his faith, and he was left for dead, 
there, there's belief that he probably sustained some major injury, some major eye injury that made his life a little bit more challenging. And some people believe that the thorn in his flesh that he's talking about was pain or, or something wrong with his eye. That could be it. Um, some theologians point towards 2 Timothy 4 and Alexander the coppersmith and 2 Timothy 2 uh, when Hymenaeus and, and others were pe- persecuting him, which is in reference to Numbers 33, 55, when Moses said, if you don't clear the promised land of these people, there'll be a thorn in your side through your days. And the thorn of in, in his flesh, it could have been other people who were causing him issues. It could have been a physical aim, ailment, but we're not about just the specific pain, but it's about the concept. And the concept that he's teaching to the church in this passage is simple, and and it's the message for the day, that his grace is enough for today. His grace is enough for the thing that you're walking through, the the pain that you have, the problem that you're dealing with, the relationship that feels like it's shattering, the thing that is keeping you up at night with anxiety. I want to tell you, and what the Apostle Paul is teaching through these passages, is that God's grace in your life should be enough to carry you through difficulties. Can I get an amen on that? Is that true? All right. God's grace, it's enough for the things that we face today. In the passage, it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, I want you to remember, the apostle Paul prayed and people rose from the dead. The apostle Paul prayed and people were healed. God worked incredible miracles through Paul. So Paul had the faith to see the healing happen in his life. But the answer that he got from God was for this situation that three times now you've asked me, will you remove this, this difficulty from me? Will you remove this pain? Three times, three different circumstances. God's answer was, my grace is what's going to carry you through this. And this flies in the face of some theological concepts that are held to in our world because there is a misconception within the world in regards to following God that if you follow God, if you're a really good Christian, then God is just gonna keep your life pain-free, suffering-free, difficulty-free. And that is proof that you must be a good Christian. But I wanna tell you, that is a completely false concept. Time after time, what we see in scripture is that God will walk us through the valley of the shadow of death that God will walk us through trials and difficulties in our, in our faith, but what he says is that his presence will be with us, that his grace will be sufficient for us. The Wesleyan, uh, those who follow the teachings of John Wesley, they explain grace in three different ways, which I like, and we're a non-denominational Christian church, but I spent some time in the Methodist church as well, and, and this was a, a good explanation of grace because we often think of grace as something that just happened one time in our life, like the moment that we received grace. But, but it's explained like this, that grace, you could compare it to a house. And there's different divisions of God's grace in our life. And just like you could be on the outside of a house and you see the porch and the porch has furniture and it has a light on and it looks well cared for. And you look at your, that house and you're like, that is a nice house. there's a part of God's grace that goes before you and and it's all across the world. When you see the stars, there's something in your heart that says, wow, God is amazing. That when you see acts of love and compassion and humility in other people, there's part of you that says, oh, that's awesome. When the weather is just right on that perfect day and you're feeling good and you can breathe air in and out of your lungs, that is part of God's grace in your life. And and that's the grace that goes before you. 
And then there's the moment where we don't just see the porch, but it's we go to the front door of the house and we find that the light is on and that the door is unlocked and there is a welcome mat that says, come on in. And we, for our own self, take hold of that door and walk through it. And that's the moment of salvation where we, we have saving grace, where we make a decision about what we personally believe about Jesus Christ's sacrifice and we receive it and we enter into the house. And that's that moment of saving grace. And you can be in the house. But then there's a third moment called sanctifying grace, where you recognize I'm part of this family. I'm not just in the house. And there is work that is to be done. There's things of how this family lives that I need to fall into line with. And that's sanctifying grace. And we're very familiar with saving grace and amazing grace and the fact that God so loved you that he sent his son, his one and only son. We, are, we understand that God loves us to bring us close, but we've often missed the fact and the power of grace at work in our life. In those situations where just like three times we have cried out, God, fix this, God, fix this, God, fix this. And he has said, my grace that I give to you on a daily basis, on a situationally situational basis, that grace is enough to empower you through. And so point number one, the thing that I want you to hold on today is that God gives grace for the moment. He gives you grace for the moment. For that moment that you need it, he gives you grace. In, in 12, 9, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. His plan is not to help you escape the difficult times. His plan is to give you grace to overcome those difficult times. And so the question for me becomes, did you bring grace with you through the situations that you have to navigate? I'm going to compare it to this. Uh, The first year of our church, we gave out about a thousand of these water bottles because one thing that I knew is that if you have kids, you are constantly looking for these water bottles because every single stinking morning when you get them ready for school, every single one of your kids have to have a water bottle. Otherwise, they will die in Florida, all right? And so I was like, we're going to give these out. Parents are always looking for them. And and it's the same struggle we have in our household where it's like every single morning, as if it's a surprise, where's your backpack, where's your shoes, where's your water bottle? Same as every other day. And there's been so many times where it's like we fill the water bottle up, but it ends up being left on the countertop at home or it gets left in the car. And then the kid that left it, they get into the car at the end of the day and they look like they are about to die and they are acting like they're about to die. Because when they're going through life, they need drinks of water all throughout the day. It's not like they could say, hey, you know what? Three years ago, I drank a lot of water. I don't need to drink water anymore. I don't need to drink anything because I was fully satisfied by water five years ago. And we understand that is a great way to pass out in Florida, to not drink water. We understand, like in Florida, if you're going to be out at recess playing in the heat, like you need to be drinking water on the regular. And we treat God as though it's like we checked in with him 10 years ago. And he filled our heart. Like we were there at Easter service and there was a thousand people and the place was rocking and our faith was lifted up. And then we just went without God for a while. And I want to just prod your thinking about the grace of God a little bit, that if you interact with your day with God and say, God, I need your grace today because these drivers in Cape Coral, let me tell you, Lord. Because these people that don't understand how to form a line, because these coworkers who say that they'll do it, 
And then they'll say that I said that I'll do it. I mean, you pick your category. You understand the difficulties that you face. But I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. God wants to give you grace for these situations. But you have to take it in moment by moment. You have to ask him for it. And I'm going to tell you, when you ask God to give you grace for people, for people who don't deserve grace, he's going to give it abundantly because that's all that he's done in your life. He's given you grace that you do not deserve. And he gives it for those moments. And, and the, the truth is we're going to live in these messy moments where we have tension and difficulty with people. God is not going to remove that from your life. He hasn't done it yet, no matter how good of a Christian you are. But the thing that you can lean on is that God will give you grace for these def- difficult moments. And so, you know, as a word to you and as a word to, to anyone who still has um, kids in the home, I'd say it this way, in your spiritual life and in your real life, you've got to learn to, to rest in the mess and not after it. It's like you need, to, you need to find a sense of peace that when this is difficult, it's okay that it's difficult. If there's heartache here, it's okay if there's heartache. If there's anxiety, it's okay if there's some anxiety felt because all of those things should be warning signs that point your heart right back towards chasing after your heavenly father. God, my heart is stirred up and anxious in this moment. Will you give me the grace that I need? And he says he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He says you have been adopted into his family, that you are a dearly loved child. And he says that his grace will be enough for whatever you're walking through. And so if you've had a mentality of, man, if I, would just, if I would just perform better for God, he would keep me away from all these difficulties. No, you're gonna live in the mess. If you have kids at home, you've probably seen, you're gonna live in the mess. And there's times where you just gotta figure out how to just sit down and rest for a moment and say, I'm living in a mess and it's okay. We'll do what we can, we'll clean what we can. You're in a work situation where things feel difficult. You're living in a mess. It's okay. Be at peace. Carry the grace that you need to carry through those situations. I'll compare it to this as well before I move off of this section. In marriage as well. You in a marriage would never say, you know what? We got married and the preacher told me I could kiss my wife and I laid a good old kiss on her, but I never have to kiss her again. I mean, we had a great kiss. We had a great honeymoon, but that was the honeymoon. All that's over now. Now we're just going to remember the good time that we had and there will be no more affection. And any person in that marriage would be like, no, that's not how it works. When you're going to sleep at night, you get a kiss. When you wake up in the morning, you get a kiss. If you look at me, you get a kiss. When you walk by me, you get a kiss. If I walk by you and you face the wrong way, then you get a good game. But there will be affection displayed every single time we see each other. We get it in the marriage relationship. We get it in how we ingest water and food, but we haven't gotten it in the way that we worship our heavenly father and expect to live our faith out. It is not about a momentary check-in, but it is about an every single day dependency on his grace. When we're living in a mess, we're gonna understand, okay, God's bringing us through a mess, but his grace is gonna supply all of our needs in it. And the, the way that the apostle Paul talks about this, it's incredibly encouraging to me the way that he describes. And he says, when you're in difficulties, when you're in persecutions, when you're in insults. So many leaders would try to say, you know what, I'm gonna hide the times that everyone insults me. When they write something mean, I'm deleting the comment because people don't need to see that. When I go through something and I have a weakness in it, I'm gonna hide all my weaknesses. And the the intention with so many is to appear perfect. And I want to, to, to tell you the example we have from Apostle Paul. He says, I'm actually gonna delight in these things. 
These things are reminders that I am not perfect and that I need the grace of God and that God's grace will be enough for me. And so, first of all, you know, the part of finding peace to be in the mess, but then lastly, to let God and others into your mess. The way that the Apostle Paul just let people see, there's weaknesses I have. There's things that I've prayed for and God has just said no. And in the same way in your life, you need to let God into your mess and stop protecting it. If you have been trapped by an addiction, trying to pretend like you don't need to talk to God about that is never gonna bring healing in your life. Keeping things hidden from your brothers and sisters in the faith is not gonna set you free from that addiction that has kept you trapped. And when we let God and others into our mess, into our weaknesses, in, in verse 10, the Apostle Paul wrote, he said, this is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. And so when he says weaknesses, and you know, we, we, what are our weaknesses? Let's just say fear, depression, anxiety. When you have moments where fear or depression and anxiety is grabbing a hold of you, what is your response to those moments? Is it to run to God or to run off by yourself thinking you need to stand on your own two feet? Is your response to run to a church member that you know, love, and trust? Or is it to put yourself further into isolation? And I know when I talk about it from the pulpit, it's so easy to understand, but the whole point of this message and this passage is to put into practice a dependence on grace for your daily interactions. Not to find a spiritual moment that you can look towards, maybe if this would happen, or if I look back to maybe when this monumental moment happened, that I can think of the power from that. No, today's grace. What is the grace that God has for you today to empower you? When someone insults you, I mean, it's, our, our body temperature goes up. When someone insults you, when someone says something negative about your kids, Do you have grace for that? I mean, I, I, I literally want to push you about this. When someone insults you, do we insult them right back? And I know this is so far from the way our world operates, but that is so in line with who the person of Jesus Christ is. To return blessing for persecution. To return blessing for insult. And there's a, there's a kingdom of God equation where God will work in these circumstances where we depend upon his grace for justice and for peace. When someone insults you, can you, can you trust the grace of God to provide what you need? In hardships, when there's not enough money, when there's not enough time, when there's not enough energy, when there's not enough enthusiasm in your congregation, can you keep preaching? And persecutions, I want to tell you, we, we're, we're seeing some changing of the tide in regards to persecutions of Christianity, and I don't think it's going to get terrible in the next 10 years, but online, just even saying that you're going to be praying for someone and thinking of someone, the internet loves to jump on that, the back and criticize you for saying that, and there is tides that are turning within the realms of how our culture treats Christianity, and there will be times where you will be faced with the decision of honoring Christ or getting criticized at work can you trust God and his grace for those situations? In difficulties, in marriages, in disagreements, in heartache, could his grace be enough for those moments? 
You know, as I wrap up this message, uh, my challenge for you is to create an awareness that you need to ask God for grace in these moments. In these things that you have a compulsion to say, and it's fine, ask him for it. God, will you take this difficulty away from me? Will you take this sickness? Will you take this loss of job? It's okay to ask him to take it away, but if he doesn't take it away, then the place that you need to go is say, not my will, but yours be done. And if it's your will for me to walk through this, then I'm going to depend on your grace moment by moment. I want to create an awareness in your heart and in your head as you face difficulty to cry out for God for grace for the moment. And as we learn to live like that, instead of being controlled by fear, we will have a testimony of overcoming fear. Instead of allowing a sickness or a loss of job to to define a season of our life, God's grace and his extravagant love can define that season of your life. But you've got to know to ask for it. You've got to know to seek it. This series, Your Mess is Mine, it it comes out of a love song as I, I shared to you before, but the concept is beautiful because this is how God is related to us. We, we live in a mess, and you will live in a mess. And we've often felt like, I need to figure out how to clean up my mess by myself. But God's love for you is this. He says, just look towards me, and I will give you the strength. I will give you the courage. I will give you the grace to not completely fix the mess, to make it through it in a way that honors him. Amen, amen. Now, I am almost done. Um, Technically, that message is over, but we're going to baptize some people today. And uh, I'm going to ask for your permission to be completely straightforward, gloves off with you for a minute. And if you don't give me permission, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) We baptize here by immersion. And our rationale for that is pretty simple. Um, The word baptism in scripture, it just means to immerse. The picture of baptism that's given in Scripture is it's this symbolism of entering the grave, being engulfed by the water, and rising out of the grave to new life. And that's another reason why we baptize by immersion. And we baptize just in general because it is a command of Jesus. In Matthew 28, 19, and we'll put this on the screen, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, always to the very end of the age. We baptize because it is a command of Jesus Christ. John 14, 21, this is where the gloves really fall off, and I I can't apologize for Scripture. This is what it says. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, is what Jesus said. And if you are a follower of Christ, As your pastor, because I love you and because I want to see the best for you, I will apply full pressure to your back to say, if you have not been baptized, you should be baptized. It is a commandment of Jesus Christ, and he says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And lastly, Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, for you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted 
the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Being baptized, I don't believe it is, being baptized is, a, is an issue of salvation. And Jesus himself submitted himself for baptism. And I would encourage you lovingly and forcefully that if you haven't obeyed Christ yet in baptism, take the step. You have some great examples in front of you today. People who would say, I should have done this 40 years ago. And you have great examples of children who are saying, at this early stage, I want to go ahead and set the course for my life and I want to follow Christ. We have, a baptism, we have baptism videos from some of them. Some of them are getting baptized at this, this service, some at the next. But at this time, we're going to go ahead and play the baptism video. And those who are candidates for baptism, please meet me in the back of the room.